Blog Talk Radio. It's Film Festival Radio, the show where superstars and future stars happily coexist together. And now, here's your host, Janice Malone. that has me super worried, and that is he's threatening 
the rule of law. He's threatening the institutional uh, checks and balances of our democracy. And he's suggesting to people that he may or may not accept the peaceful transfer of power. So, so it's it's this sort of stuff that uh, you know, um, you know, the, the patriotic duty is to seek his removal. I mean, we we we've got to have a democracy uh, that for adheres to the peaceful transfer of power. And and I think he's making a very big mistake with all that stuff. And I think it's going to really hurt his legacy. Well, as everyone knows, uh, you and Mr. Trump have known each other for over three decades. Um, do you real, do you think that he will instigate a race war or race riot? Is he is that a, really and truly a part of his personality? So I I hope not, but I will tell you that if you're watching the manifestation of his presidency, you know the stuff that he did as an example, the June first stuff where he's clearing the he's using the American military to clear innocent protesters in Lafayette Park. Uh, you had a, you had somebody killed. Eight hundred and eight, eight minutes and forty six seconds. The person's on the ground uh, being suffocated, and you know you, you, you've got racial tension in this country that dates back several hundred years. And he had an opportunity to create a healing message there. He didn't do it. He's shooting them with pellets, and uh, he's gassing them. He's using the American military to gas them to the point where you've got the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, General Milley, has to go out and apologize to the American people for what was done. And then he's walking over to the to the St. James Church, being denounced by the, the clerics inside the church, members of the clergy. Um, it's bad optics. The actions speak to somebody that either isn't thinking strategically or somebody that doesn't have any empathy or somebody that is... Uh, could potentially go in that direction. I would like to believe that he will not go in that direction. But you have to take the words of the president. He controls the Billy pulpit and the news cycle. You have to take the words of the president seriously if he's saying stuff like that. How much does he listen to his advisors? Well, I think everybody knows the answer to that. He doesn't listen to anybody. You know, and I, I think, you know, that was a complaint of General Mattis, a complaint of General Kelly. General McMaster made that complaint. Uh, Reince Priebus made that complaint. He's fallen in line with the president. But you know, the president doesn't listen to anybody. And, uh, you know, you, you, if you read the book Unstable Genius, it's a very accurate account of what was going on. And I would say that he was a, more open to listening during the campaign once he won the presidency four years ago, and you know he put me on his executive transition team, um, he was listening in the beginning, and then he just shut us all down. And then he decided that uh, either it's insecurity or something's going on, some level of overcompensation. He's just not going to listen to anybody. So it was very predictable to me that when somebody like Dr. Fauci, 36 years in NIH, one of the world's leading epidemiologists, uh, it was very clear to me that he wasn't going to listen to him because it's his nature. And so, um, the, you know, look at what's happened. You've got a politicization of science in our country in 2020 because the president of the United States has a very large group of his acolytes. Uh, he's in Fayetteville, North Carolina, the day prior to the election, uh, in the freezing cold at a super spreader event. And, uh, you know, and, he, and then, he, and then he, he whisks out of there with Air Force One. He leaves these people uh, uh, to find buses. They're stranded there several hours later. During a global pandemic, the worst pandemic that we've had since this, the Spanish flu. So, so you know, it seems like he's in it for himself. You know, I would tell you that if he's looking at the 
Google search, if he's doing a news search, he's searching T-R-U-M-P. He's not searching USA. And he's definitely not searching Y-O-U. He could care less about Y-O-U. So, so that's the problem here. And, and, and the good news for the American people is that he is, uh, you know, two-thirds, a good solid two-thirds of the American people know what's up. And so I think this will be a rousing loss tomorrow. And I think uh, we'll hopefully have some kind of uh, return to normalcy. And then you'll have the Republican Party hopefully try to restate its principles and get away from this sort of demagoguery and this nonsense. In the event that Mr. Trump is reelected, will you call him to say congratulations or anything? Well, I mean, I'm not, I don't think, I mean, first of all, he's not going to take my call. And secondarily, uh, last time I spoke to him was in April of 2019. He was pretty sore at me because I had written an op-ed saying that the press is not the enemy of the people. I don't know. Are you the enemy of the people, Janice? Oh, no. Do you feel like you're an enemy? you feel like you're the enemy of the people? No, I don't. You, know, you can't talk. You can't talk like that. I mean, we have a First Amendment. We have the right to free speech in our country, and we teach our children that they can speak freely. They go on and create Facebook and Amazon and Google and these great companies. You can't censor people in the United States. You know, that's part of our personal freedoms. And so it's the reason the country has prospered the way it has. So anyway, he got sore at me. So the last time I spoke to him was on Easter Sunday of 2019. If he does win, I'll wish him uh, congratulations on social media. And uh, I certainly want him to do well. You know, again, not personal. Uh, when Barack Obama beat Mitt Romney, I was working for the governor. I wanted Barack Obama to do well. I'm, 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 I love my country. I'm sure you love the country. I want the people that are in leadership to do well. I pray for these people. They're under a lot of pressure. and want them, want them to make the right decisions, you know. Lots of people are concerned about uh, certain segments of the GOP possibly cheating, for during this election, um, especially the electorals, should people be concerned about this? I I I, I think so. Yes, I, I I think that you're seeing that they're they're they've they've they flipped the switch pretty openly now with levels of transparency that I was shocked by, frankly. But they switch flipped the switch over to uh, you know full on Jim Crow situation where they're trying to disallow ballots. They're in a ballot fight, 127,000 ballots in Texas. They've removed polling booths. Uh, you may know this, uh, state of Cal uh, South Carolina, for this election only, no drop boxes anywhere. So you can't fill out the ballot and drop it in the drop box. I mean, that's, that is to prevent people, that is suppressing the vote, and it's predominantly suppressing the vote of non-whites and minorities, and that's basically what these guys are doing, and, and they did that after the Civil War. They did it up until, frankly, the Voting Rights Act in 1965, and then since 1965 to today, and it's predominantly the Republicans, they have done things to uh, prevent the vote, slow down the vote. I'm not saying it's not symmetrical on both sides. I'm certain that there are a few people that could make that claim as well. But it's open and obvious, and this is one of the things that Mr. Trump has done, which uh, is sort of a perverse positive. He is so open with the tells. He's so open with the expression of the amorality uh, that I, think, I do think that these things will get fixed. One other thing that Mr. Trump has done, which I respect, is uh, uh, he's uniting us. 
uh, it just happens to be uniting us against him. Imagine me and Steve Schmidt and all these lifelong Republicans like Stuart Stevens. We're now teamed up with the Democrats and people like Bernie Sanders and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez to remove him. And so he's doing a pretty good job of unifying the country. That's great irony there, but, but that's where we are. Does Mr. Trump really fear the possibility of going to prison if he's not reelected? Well, knowing him as well as I know him, I know that that is up on the list. I know that has to be in his uh, windshield. Uh, I will say this, though, because he's a great compartmentalizer. He's worried about today and tomorrow, and then after the election results, he'll start thinking about issues of these investigations that he's under and the alleged uh, controversies and potential criminality of the Trump organization. So, um, you know, listen, we're innocent until proven guilty in the United States, and even though there's been subversion of the rule of law here and there's been some capriciousness in terms of the way the president has pardoned his cronies, uh, I want to give him and any, anybody that's been charged with anything the benefit of the doubt. But, but if he, um, and, you know, and this is just my opinion, he's not playing to win right now. If you look at the poll numbers, it looks it looks like a near impossibility of him being able to win. If he, if he, if what he is playing for, in my opinion, is a bargaining chip to potentially get himself a pardon. And so uh, I've read that there have been so far over 1,200 books written about uh, Mr. Trump from so many authors, mm-hmm. obviously the most about any president in history. One of those mm-hmm. books, Michael Cohen, uh, have you read mm-hmm. any of his books? Yes, no, I read, know Michael well. I've read his book and I've done his podcast, yes. Okay, what do you think of his book? Well, listen, the book's true. I mean, so, you know, the, the problem with the book uh, is that the allegations being made in the book, the levels of malfeasance and amorality is shocking. And so you say, so, okay, could this be true or is it, or is it uh, somehow motivated by the author? But, but it is true. And so, you know, I'm surprised, however, that the book didn't stick harder on the president. If you read that book, um, it sounds like you've read it. I've read the book. If you read the book, you know, you get this situation where um, it is a, uh, um, you know, I don't know, the Liz Pendens about the removal of a president. So, so to me, uh, it didn't stick because there's so much going on that the president has actually anesthetized people to all of the apparent behavior. No, no other president would be able to do the stuff that he's doing and have this sort of uh, stuff. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. I just found it shocking. I, I just couldn't believe some of it. But, hey. Okay. A couple of last questions here. If you were still in the position of, of White House Communications Director, how would you have advised the president on, on some of the key issues, especially the, the COVID virus? So is this before I took the cyanide pill or after I took the cyanide pill? Like what, you know, you know I mean, I was probably be choking after I bit down on the pill. Um, I, I, you know, look, here's, here's what I would say to you that I, you know, he would never listen. But I'd say, listen, you, you, have to, uh, you have to go for the moderates and the independents. You have to expand the tent. Uh, these elections are always very close in our country now. The country is very polarized. You have to expand the tent. That's what I would say to him. And uh, he wouldn't listen. And I'll tell you, the last time I spoke to him, when he was sore at me for writing that op-ed about the press, I said, well, don't you want to expand the tent and go for the moderates and the independents? He said, no. 
he said, uh, I'm going to focus on the base and let everything else take care of itself. You know what I mean? So that's a little crazy to me, you know, to be honest. It's a little out there, I, I will admit, definitely out there. So finally, overall, what are some things that Republicans did right and wrong, and what are some of the things that Democrats did right and did wrong for this election? Uh, you mean in terms of the campaign? Campaign, yes. Well, I think what the what the Democrats did right, they never took the bait. So when he was calling Sleepy Joe and he was saying all these different sorts of things to, uh, about the vice president, he never took the bait. He stayed on message. He stayed disciplined. And I think they provided a very stark contrast in terms of how they were going to handle the social distancing and the virus and the science around the virus. Uh, I think in the in the case of the Republicans, um, I, I think that the, the president stuck, you know, to be fair to him, he stuck to his message. Uh, it's a bellicose message. It's a bullying message. Um, and he's basically telling you that he's going to run roughshod over the virus. And he's got a lot of people that want to do that with him. You know, is it 35 percent of the American electorate? Sure. He's, he's got these very large rallies. They are clearly maskless, super spreader events. And so, you know, he's got a strategy on, and he's thinking that this strategy will be a winning strategy for him, but I think the polls say otherwise. I think most people know that something's up, and as I said earlier, they want somebody that they can trust in terms of handling and dealing with the virus, and I think that starts with listening to the science around it. And finally, for sure, we're going to land this flight here. If you were, to, or are you interested ever in your, you personally running for any type of political office? Um, well, I'm running for re-election in my marriage. Okay, so I'm like 100% focused on that. And let me tell you, Janice, you may know this. I don't know if you're married or not, but I mean, I'm, I might be on a one-day term here. For all I know, there there might be term limits. So there's like a re-election campaign going on every day here. You know, I, I, I don't I don't see it. You know, I'm 56 years old. I've run two reasonably successful businesses. I got into politics as a political fundraiser, not to necessarily be somebody that ran for elective, elective office. So um, if you'd asked me that question when I was 36 and I'm in the situation that I'm in now, maybe I'd be more open-minded about it, but, but I, don't, I don't see it at this point. I mean, things could change. I'm not a politician, so I'm not going to give you one of those scripted answers and then go, go run for office. I mean, things could change, but... Uh, I'm also uh, a, a centrist Republican in a very blue state of New York, so it would be it would be super hard to run for office here. Well, I know, as we all know, you have uh, very popular on the late night talk show circuit. Uh, you did Big Brother, got a really good career. It seems like in the entertainment industry. Ever thought about doing <laughs> a, a late night talk show, TV talk? Well, that that that's something I would probably have an interest in more so than uh, politics. So. Yeah, you know, you never know on something like that, right? I think you would be very good. I would definitely. All right. Well, if you if you know an agent, you know, have them, send them my way, okay, <laughs> Dale, and uh, we'll, we'll have that conversation, Jen. Definitely so. Well, lastly, for sure, what's the next event, next book, next anything that we can you can promote here while we have you? Well, uh, you know, I am going to be writing a book uh, uh, about to sign a contract, actually. Um, don't have a working title, but I can give you the theme. The theme is going to be having a resilient personality and a political maelstrom, and it's going to connect and intersect what's happened to me personally through my odyssey over the last four years, but 
also what's going on inside the country, how divided we are, and how we, we need a reframing and sort of an American renewal to reset ourselves. Okay, well, obviously that will probably be out next year or the following. Yeah, yeah, we would be targeted for June of next year. Next year, okay. Well, hopefully I can get another autograph book from you because I enjoyed the Oh, that, that's, that's a promise. Okay, great. Well, thank you so much thank for having you. me on. I wish you uh, uh, get out and vote. Vote your conscience, as I tell everybody. Yep. You don't have to vote with me, but be, vote your conscience. Vote your conscience. Uh, it's important for our society. And thank you so much for uh, having me on. Absolutely, and we look forward to having you in sunny Las Vegas uh, maybe next year. I can't wait. Jeez, <laughs> I really can't wait for that. Thank you again. Thank you, then. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. Thank you for listening to another edition of Film Festival Radio with your host, Janice Malone. Be sure to download this and other episodes at filmfestivalradio.com.